Hey guys, I'm Nick. And I'm Eugene. Welcome to Papercut. This week, we have a very special episode for you. This week is our 20th episode, and to celebrate, we brought on our guest speaker, Lawrence. Alright, Lawrence, tell us a bit about yourself. Where are you from? How long have you been in Hong Kong? Thank you, Nick. Thank you, Eugene, for having me here. Um, hi, guys. Uh, I'm from Sydney, Australia. I think I've been in Hong Kong for about a year now. Like, you know, like, I'm curious, you know, what's your, what's your favorite genre for books? I really enjoy fantasy. It's something that I've really spent a lot of time reading when I was a child. Do you, uh, here's a question. Do you prefer Harry Potter more or do you prefer Lord of the Rings more? Or are you more of a sort of Game of Thrones guy? I think I'm definitely more of a Harry Potter fan. You know, that's, that's sort of like at my age... Uh, 25, that's sort of like my childhood, that was Harry Potter, you know, you grew up uh, reading the books and watching the movies. Oh, fair enough. Like, I think it's one of the, it's a generational thing, isn't it? And growing up with it, did you grow up reading the books and watching the movies, both of them? Or? Oh, definitely, at the same time. I, I only started reading after like a while, and Eugene, but Eugene, his Harry Potter knowledge, you'll find... Oh, is... no, no, it's... Uh, I only know so much because my sister is a big fan. So, like, I talk to her a lot. And she Excuses. gives me the... Uh, she Ex- gives me the knowledge. Like, I'm not really that big of a fan, you know. Excuses, am I I've right? I've only read through all of them once. Not not even twice, man, you know. <laughs> not even twice. Excuse. Was she pushing it, these books and films onto you, the Harry Potter series onto you? Um, not really pushing, but more like, uh, you know, one of those Asian parents thing. Well, probably not you guys, but like for in, in like a very Asian, Asian households, you have parents who go like, oh, you guys, you guys should read English books. And since Harry Potter was the English book at the time, they try to push it onto us. So that was kind of like a joint effort by my sister and my mom to push it onto me. So I was like, okay, fine, I'll watch, I'll, I'll read it. Just shut up. And then I read it, and I was like, oh, that's actually pretty good. And I guess the reason I bring this up is also because of the book you've chosen today. So do you want to tell us the name and author of the book you've chosen, Lawrence? So the book I've chosen for today's episode is The Name of the Wind by Patrick Rothfuss. So just a bit of context for everyone and a little bit of an overview for everyone. Uh, Name of the Wind by Patrick, uh, Patrick Rothfuss is the first book in his King Killer Chronicle trilogy sorry that was a bit of a mouthful as you can tell it's about a guy who supposedly kills a king though we're two books in so far there is the name of the wind there is a wise man's fear and doors of stone has not been released yet and it's been so long i don't know if you've read the second one as well i definitely read the second one awesome let's go through very quickly sort of a quick rundown of the book for people who haven't read it eugene i I take it you haven't read it have you no not at all all right so I'm going to try and find a very concise way to explain this because bloody hell, the, it's a thick book, Lawrence. Like, you don't, you know this. It's a thick book. I'm going to, of course, miss a few things, Lawrence. If, is there, if there's anything else you felt was important, feel free, like, jump in, let me know. The Name of the Wind, it's a, it's a two sort of parallel timeline thing. You have this part in the future and you have this part in the past. And the story begins with this guy who's called the Chronicler. And this guy basically chronicles the history of the whole land, this mythical land. And he eventually, he ends up in this inn. And in this inn, he meets this innkeeper and his assistant. They start talking, talking, talking. And after a while, he realizes, oh my God, this innkeeper is the famous king killer. He asks like, okay, can I record your story? Can I record your story for the record? And after a while, the king killer says, yeah, sure. The king's kill- king killer's name is Quoth, if I, if I remember correctly. And he says, sure, you can record it, but you need to record it over three days. And 
basically each book is one day. So Name of the Wind is the first day. That's the part in the future, and then he recounts his past. So when he was younger, he was this little whippersnapper traveling with a band of like sort of gypsy-like people who are known for playing music and having a good time, but they were not like elites of society. Like the elites of society really didn't like them. So they kind of did that. And one day he went out for a bit and he came back and he found that his entire troop, his entire family that he grew up with is murdered. It's terrifying. It's traumatizing. And so he goes on this sort of quest to find out like why were his parents killed? And so he finds the best way to do that is to go to this university that has all the knowledge in the world and probably learn a bit of magic there as well. And so he goes to university and he becomes one of the youngest people to be admitted in said university. This is when it gets a little bit more for the Americans because you have things like non-specialized courses and very expensive tuition fees. Like as the book you will find throughout the Maybe, book. I mean, we have one of those. Oh, we have one of those too. It gets a bit more Harry Potter-ish here as well. Like you have the best friends, the guy that wants to kick him out, the teacher that doesn't treat him very well, the tre- teacher that treats him really well. Um, it's but it's I would say this. It's more for adults. So like it feels more grown-up-ish and it feels more straight to the point. In the end, like he does a few adventures and it sort of ends compactly as like okay, this is the first third of the story. Lawrence, I don't know if I missed anything from that. I'm, I'm sure I have actually. No, but definitely, I think you what you said about the analogy to Harry Potter that makes a lot of sense. Like I didn't think of that before, but when you mention it, it makes me think. Yep, it's adult version. I mean, you've got all what you said, and you got to add the spice of you know loan sharks, earning earning money, doing part time jobs. Because uh, there's that element as well, like in addition to the magic. So there's like the whole like. Uh, having to move out and all that stuff as well. Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned that. I completely forgot about the loan sharks. Like, he has to move out and, like, I think I said right, uh, just now, his, he's not an elite, he's poor, really poor. And so he has to find a way to fund for his university and his everything. What happens is, in Harry Potter, you find that his parents were just filthy stinking rich to begin with, <laughs> you know? And here Convenient. he's conveniently Convenient. rich. And here he finds out, oh shoot, I have to pay tuition fee. What do I do? And so he, he finds ways. I don't know about you, Lawrence, but for me, one of the most charming parts was like, he always found a way out of things. That's what I really liked about it. But, right, now let's go into a bit of our thoughts about the book, like when you first read it. So Lawrence, so first impressions, overall feel of the book. What do you think when you first read it? So I read this book when I was quite young, but even then I felt after finishing the book was damn, that was a really well-written book. And I was glued to the book for, I think, two days straight. I did not finish it. It was like one of those things you do as a child, you know, you, you get the flashlight on any of the sheets and you on your bed sheets and you just like keep reading and then your parents barge in and they're like, what the hell are you doing at this time of the night? And you get scolded <laughs> and you pretend to go back to sleep. But then you just get the flashlight out again anyway and you just keep reading. You get scolded for reading books. Yeah, damn, right? Man. Damn. What are my parents doing? They should be encouraging me to read more. Exactly. <laughs> but, you know, that was really the, 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 the overall feeling. It was, just, it was just like that. And I think you can attribute it to the way Patrick Rothfuss writes. He's, he writes with brevity and every word counts. And you can really see that in the history of, I guess, the book um, being written. I mean, it took him decades uh, before he got his draft to a publisher. Mm. 
and um, getting approved and he had to win some competition and get, get enough you know like momentum going before he finally released it and Nick mentioned earlier The Doors of Stone the third book it's been a long time and that guy is taking a sweet time but um, he's a good writer in terms of the, the book itself the the world is he's written it's not based on you know the world that we know it like earth it the the world building and the everything that he creates um it's it's you get really like entranced and wrapped up into it uh and i think if you've done a lot of like science like chemistry or that sort of stuff in high school then you will definitely feel like a lot of themes um these themes being written into the book themes that are very prominent are like you know the laws of conservation of energy in that way it's it's different to uh, i'm going to say harry potter again where you sort of like uh, swish and flick your wand a bit and then some <laughs> magic happens no. just make something up right yeah it's very it's very different it's very much based on uh, uh somewhat realistic but not at all and i think it's also important to mention here that patrick rothis uh is a chemical engineer he studied chemical engineering in school before he actually wrote this so that's why like those scientific elements popped up like to give you an example of why i remember from the book like where the science pops up uh, at some point in the book they meet they come across this dragon like creature which is not really a dragon but it has the ability to breathe fire he 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 of course he's shocked at first but he kind of looks at it and goes huh actually when you think about it where does the energy come from for him to breathe fire you know it's it's the nerdy things like this but i really appreciate it i don't know about you Lawrence like when you when you read that i don't know if that was what you had in mind no definitely the inner geek in me is just like screaming it's just like oh this is awesome this is great and then <laughs> especially after i read this after uh, when i was a little bit older after harry potter books right and it's sort of like um the next phase i guess and it's definitely great Wait, so before we dive any further and sort of into the themes, did you have was there any moment in the book where you felt, wow, this is really special. I I I like this part a lot. I think there's one moment uh in the book where quote for his he's a bit of a smart alec that gets into a bit of trouble. There's a moment in the book where he gets punished by university and the punishment is something like nine lashes of uh, of the whip. In preparation for that, because he has a I guess a reputation to to present and that that plays a big part of of his personality his his stubbornness he chews on some some herbs which is some drugs basically which uh, helps him deal with the pain of the whipping and also causes him to um to not bleed out uh because this drug I think it's like an anticoagulant or something like that and when he gets whipped he doesn't he doesn't make any noise at all he doesn't he's just emotionless i think that was a great moment of characterization and i think in a book you you think of all the grand moments you know the, the dragon um the love story and mm. what not but i think for me in this this particular moment is sort of it's a good showcase of his, his character i i just have my favorite moment here as well i think for eugene like it's important to know that he's not amazingly special in terms of abilities so This guy had to base it's all about his wit and sort of how he takes like his way. He actually game. worked his way up, right? It's not like Harry Potter where it started off with him being the chosen one or like the boy who lived. You know, like within the first few chapters, you already have people going up to him and being like, "Oh my god, you're the you're the guy with like the scar, the on, scar his on his head." It's like this is so this sounds like this guy actually just started off ordinary in like a let's say a middle or lower class kind of environment and he worked his way up. Something like that. There was one part in the in the book that I, I think that was just one of my favorite parts. I haven't read it in so long and I can still recall it. I you know we've all been to university, right? 
You, you guys had interviews, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So, in, in this one, it's no different. He has to do this interview. And Lawrence, I don't know if you remember. So, this, these interviews are conducted in this sort of public space. But it's an open space and it's one person at a time. So, imagine I imagined it as a giant coliseum and people just going in doing their interviews. He realized that to get in, he didn't have a chance of getting in just by intellect alone because he's much younger and much dumber than everyone. So what does he decide to do? He decides to hide somewhere in the stage and observe into people being interviewed the entire day in secret. And so he jots down all the answers to all the interview questions and he finds this pattern after a while. And he decides, fuck it, I'm going to go in and get, in and get interviewed. And the moment he just whips out every answer like that, uh, and all his professors are like, oh my god, he's a, he's a child prodigy, how does he know all these answers? Mate, isn't that what we do nowadays, though? Just listen and then pray, and then... I mean, I know that's what I do in meetings. People <laughs> go like, no, oh, this, 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 and I go like, hmm, interesting. And the next time they bring it up, they say the exact same thing. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a, an insight into his intellect and wit, right? Not only uh, is the book smart aspect of the world really important um, to him, it's also being the street smart. Yeah, it's attributed the fact that he lost all his family and was super young and to grow up um, as a street urchin and then going into university. In fact, I think like I think this is sort of a good segue into some of the themes. So we asked Lawrence to see like what themes really resonated with him. So Lawrence, care to share with us which theme or themes did you feel really resonated with you as you were reading this book? So I think an interesting part of the story. Um, is you have Quoth and he, you know he grew up as a uh, as a street urchin on the streets and then all of a sudden he comes to the university and I think at the university it's a place of wealth and money right it's mm. where mm. people are inventing um, all these crazy um, quote unquote magical items and yeah. um, music and theater and literature and money flows you have the the upper elites of society coming. And it's quite interesting when you look at, you know, our personal lives, right? At university, uh, we might have had some, you know, some part-time jobs, earning a bit of money, you know, like you, you go on a few dates, maybe you, you go to like the theater on some student discounts once in a while. Um, but now, you know, we don't have those student concessions anymore. And especially in Hong Kong, like if I compare to Hong Kong to Sydney, Hong Kong has so much more money. Like it's, it's, it's ridiculous. Like the rent here... Um, the the amount of money that goes around and like the cost of food and like you can get you can eat quite cheap but it goes up very very quickly depending on who you're hanging out with or who where you want to eat. It's so different, and I feel like that's that's also like um uh, something that Quoth had to confront when he uh went to university because whilst. Uh, he might be on this scholarship and, you know, like, um, scrounging for money. Um, there were a lot of wealthy people around him who might have been trying to give him some charity that he didn't want or didn't know that he was not uh, well-to-do. You're saying it's more like a culture shock of him going from, a, from like, a lower class to, like, a higher class in terms of his living style or, like, the environment around him? I think he, as a someone who's part of a traveling... Uh, troop he encountered some wealth but was also so young and he was you know like cared for by his parents so money was not a concept he had to care about when he had family but ever since he lost his family it became the immediate concern it became survival Um, but 
a strong part of his characterization, as I mentioned earlier, with the the whipping episode and the whipping um, scene. Um, he is a very proud person, and mm. you know he wants to put that image, and he does not want to rely on the charity of his friends, which is why he works so hard. Exactly. Okay. Uh, it's interesting that you mentioned like the moment he sort of loses his parents, because I think to some degree we can all relate to this. So I don't know about you guys, but when I was in uni and when I was studying in England. I had like my parents to get me through that. So living expenses, like my parents were happy to give me an allowance. And so, I hate to admit this, but the con my concept of money was everything was affordable and re- within reach, like within reason, of course. I wouldn't yeah. go to some crazy restaurant every day. I would still like, you know, go to Tesco's and get my stuff. But now that I'm actually making money here in Hong Kong, looking back. I, I, every day, every time I look back, I go, how on earth did I afford that? So to give you an example, in traveling in London, you use the tube, right? And the tube, uh, zone one, so the shortest distance you can take, is about two pounds thirty, which is twenty three Hong Kong, or in dollar USD, I think it's about two fifty, or just under three dollars. And I come here to Hong Kong, and I'm like. Holy shit! How on earth did I afford that? Like train rides here are about cheapest two fifty Hong Kong. Holy crap! So, I guess question for both of you guys is: When you've become more independent, when you've started finding your own job, becoming your own person, does your concept of money change? Lawrence, let's start with you. I think definitely so. Like when I finished university and I started my proper job, um, this is back in Sydney. Uh, the end, of, the ending of all parental support meant that I had to spend every dollar carefully. It also coincided to when I um, met my girlfriend, which ah, additional cost. <laughs> I think all the all the all the guys uh, can relate to. Yes, uh, a lot of additional costs. So and then you know coming to Hong Kong, it, it, it's a different uh, ball game, right? Like Hong Kong is uh, much more expensive. Um, and even further away from any sort of like um, parental support, and not to mention, um, if you have want to have any sort of social life here, uh, de- particularly depending on like who you want to hang out with. But you know, the lack of public space here means yep. you can't do things the cheap way that you normally perhaps could back home. Like, yep. can't really just hang out in a park or whatever you like if you want to meet people you need to go to a restaurant but you also need to go to the restaurant which lets you sit down for a period of time and won't kick you out which means you need to spend more money exactly and you get charged for beer pong oh my god you get charged for beer pong <laughs> eugene yourself like what, what has it been like for you the thing about financially independent is like even though i've started working now and i've like started earning money and i've stopped asking money from my parents They've never officially. They've never officially said themselves that they will stop giving me money. So like, even though they don't really give me money anymore, I still have it in my mind that it's still a door open for me. Mm. Like so, I don't know. I don't feel. I guess like because I haven't been working outside of Hong Kong, in the, like independently away from my parents. Mm. I don't really get this independence kind of feeling maybe if maybe if i move out from my current house and i start having to pay rent and having to pay electric bills then i'll get like a more of a holistic view of it but right now i don't know right now for me unfortunately i can't answer that question ah, okay no i mean it's fair enough like hong kong is 
so expensive. I, I was reading a statistic the other day, like, I think locals only move out when they're, like, when they get, when they get married, which is, like, 30s. That's crazy, right? Like, where's the independence? Well, how's it going to get away from the parents? I mean, besides the rich and poor thing, like, I also think, for me, when I read it, I found that there was a huge... The, one big theme was that of identity and how much of ident- your identity is actually within your own control. So, from the get-go, we know that this guy is the king killer. Like, we don't know... He hasn't said a word. We don't know a thing about him. We just know he is the king killer. And we only know this because someone says, Oh my god, you're the king killer. That's all we know. And in his... And he's saying this entire story in his own words. So, in that sense, he's forging his own identity as well. And when he was doing this, there were parts in this book where he did things, but people hear about these things and sort of exacerbate everything he says and or does. And so, for example... There's a part in the book where he does like some. Fa- he's trying. He's trying to run away from these robbers, and so one of the things he uh, one of the things he does is like he hides behind something. He runs, hides behind something, and makes this optical illusion where he claps like he creates a spark and manages to summon this like crazy loud booming voice. Like to, a flashbang, right? Uh, something like a flashbang, except it's it's more like voice of God sort of thing. Mm. And these robbers are like scared as hell. They're like, oh my god, this kid can summon God. Let's run away. And so this sort of rumor starts about him that he's actually like friends with God of every- and everything. And slowly but surely, there's a rumor that goes around like, oh, this guy is like a crazy great magician. Like He's only been here for a while. Stay away from him. Oh my god, he's also so young and he's so smart. Stay away from him. But in reality, like... That's not him. That's not how he sees himself. You know, he he's the guy who sort of weaseled his way into university. He's a guy with a few tricks up his sleeves, and he's just a scared kid who wants to get away from some robbers. Exactly, exactly. Just a person. It's a it's a person. He's a normal guy, and he's painted out as this Mary Sue, which is why I thought like, you know, he he obviously sees himself in in this in this in this light. We, what we hear is just rumors of him so how much of your identity is actually within your own, your own control and i think like that's actually a very interesting thing to talk about as well because especially now you know how much of your identity is like your own especially with social media as well you know how much do you front how much of it is actually you that's one to get your thoughts on this so i guess my question to both of you would be like how much of your identity do you think is your own? And I know it's a bit of a hard one and it's a bit left field. So Eugene, I'm going to bully you first. What do you think? It depends on the what you mean by identity. But for me, it doesn't really matter who you view yourself as because you always view yourself as the good guy or like the protagonist of your own story. But the whole point of an identity is not for you to identify yourself because you know who you are, but it's for other people to look at you and go like, this is the guy who did A, B, or C. In that sense, the whole question becomes meaningless because the identity really isn't up to you. It's up to other people or how to perceive you. And that only comes with how they, what they see from the outside, not from the inside. I feel like you've triggered a, a community of people who identify as, you know, a third gender. <laughs> Have I? I wasn't, I wasn't even thinking about that. Ah, kidding, kidding. Uh, in that in that regard, like your identity isn't really for you to decide. It's up for you, sort of. It definitely. I mean, like it's up for you to try to change it. But whether people want to believe it or not, that's another thing, right? Mm. So, for example, you have this. Like, I I'm this kid, and I sparked a flashbang. Like normal kids like me won't be able to do that. So you know, if I should I have known better, or should I know that this will 
be what people think of me and if I do do I mind that you know it's that kind of thing which is interesting because it's probably not what I was thinking about at all like you mm-hmm. you, you do things because you do them and not always necessarily because you want a certain image oh no understood understood yeah. I'm just saying like hypothetically yeah all right, Laura, so I'm, I'm slowly slightly tweak the question as well like uh, what's your what's your view on this sort of identity thing and how much of it do you actually think you belongs to you? How much do you think you can control? Well, I guess it when you say that uh, sort of made me think about celebrities a little bit. So for people like us who are not in the spotlight all the time, especially in the media or etc. etc. Et mm. I feel like we just if you're down to earth, uh, people will really just see that, um, and if you're genuine, people will see that. I think. Eugene, you make a good point, like whether people want to believe that that genuine self or whether they want to tweak it because maybe they don't like you, so they choose to see a different um, version of yourself. I mean, yeah, that's out of your control. I mean, that comes down to not everyone's going to like you. Um, If you, you know, try to be um, genuine and good, I think most people will generally like you. I do also want to add that even though we're not in the spotlight, we're still in the spotlight of the people around us, if that makes sense. Yeah. So we, like we might not be tweaking our image for the general public as to say but we certainly are still tweaking our image for the people around us be it workmates be it friends be it family we're never really ourselves in a way if that makes sense even to ourselves we know we lie to ourselves so what is our identity but then again that's that's going too deep that's going too deep that's going too deep that's a just a thought as long as we um you know as long as we're happy we're getting fed <laughs> we're going out every saturday to drink that's fine by me exactly <laughs> okay okay yeah. i mean there's interesting views about identity as well and it's a recurring theme in the books and there i feel like if i dug really hard into it there's a way to get out of it but it's always interesting to hear like what people have to say about this because i've also noticed in different backgrounds people view themselves differently so for example I feel like in Asia in particular, if I said, oh, oh, Eugene, you're so smart, you know, like you can do this and this and Eugene might take the humble approach and go, oh, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. I feel like if I was like, I don't know, in the West, it's more like, oh, you know, oh, Lawrence, for example, you're so smart, blah, 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 blah. I feel like you go, yeah, I'm really smart. I did this the other day. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I was there as well. Blah, blah, blah. Got a whole Lamborghini here. I feel that, you know. I feel like there is a, there's a cultural aspect to this. And I don't know, like, I'm not saying one is better or worse than the other, though I know which I prefer. I'm just saying, like, to some degree that you could feel that in the book as well. And I think it becomes more apparent in the second book. So I think I will uh, I'll leave it at that. But I also know that we're coming to the end of ta- with our time here, Lawrence. Uh, we're coming close to it. So before we leave, I was hoping to get like um, opinion from you. Like, would you recommend this book? And if so, is there a, a recommended audience that you would target? I think because this book is so well ri- uh, written, I'll recommend it to anyone. Uh, no particular audience, though. If you press me to pick an audience, I guess. People who are a bit, you know, young teens is a good mm. good age to start reading it. Maybe perhaps if there were any younger, um, unlike the Harry Potter series, they probably may not understand as much of it as as they could. I think myself, like, I've also read it. I would highly recommend it. And I read completely, like, I think not necessarily just teens, just young people in general. Mm. 
simply because like uh, it starts off. I think Name of the Wind is fairly um, is fairly tame in some sense, but then there are only some things you can truly un- appreciate once you're a bit older. So that's why I say young people in general. So young adults, young teens, whatever. There's something in there for everyone, and I think it actually gets a lot more graphic in the second book. So um, <laughs> <laughs> some more mature themes, definitely. Um, yeah, so I think I think that's why I would say young people. Um, How thick's the book? I think five hundred ish pages. Right. But the second book is a lot more. Second book is closer to nine hundred. I'd say. I think so. I think so. Um, you read that in two days. Ah, uh, the first one. The second one took me like three. With not much sleep. I mean, you still read nine hundred. That's insane, man. Uh, bear in mind also he has a third book that is not part of the King Killer Chronicles but is a it's a it's a one it's about one of the characters Eugene but it's called the Slow Regard of Silent Things um, that we could talk about that another time but if you're gonna start don't start with that that's that's my that's my general message to everyone yeah that's a spin off which uh, the author Patrick himself said that you know if you like my uh, my other books uh, you may not necessarily like this one word of warning. Yeah, it's like reading Fantastic Beasts before Harry Potter. Yep, it's that's actually a very good comparison. Okay, I agree with that. Hopefully, uh, we've we've convinced you to add this to your back burner of books. Oh man, I feel like my back is actually getting burnt so much that I don't have a back anymore. <laughs> right. Uh, I think we've we're coming to the end of the session. So thank you so much, Lawrence, for joining us today and our very very special twentieth episode. It's been it's been a blast, and I, I don't know about you, but I've had great fun doing this. Yeah, thanks, Lawrence. No, thank you. It's been my pleasure. That's all we have for today. Thank you for listening in. If you like what we do, follow us on Spotify. Just type in Paper Cut Podcast in your search bar or in any of your other preferred streaming sites. If you want to leave us a comment or let us know what you think, you can email us at papercut.cast at gmail.com or Instagram at papercut.cast, no caps, or Twitter at papercutpodcast, one word, no caps. Look forward to seeing you guys next week for another episode. Until then, I'm Lawrence. I'm Nick. And I'm Eugene. Peace. Out.